0: Welcome to episode 202 of the Water Spaceland Podcast. I'm Wei Shen and as usual I've got Tony here with me today. Hey T, how's it
1: going? Good, good. We had a uh, a hailstorm and flooding. It felt like end of days for about five minutes and uh, but then it went away and it was beautiful sunshine. So uh, you know in the northeast you never know what the hell kind of weather you're gonna get. Uh, Not not just day to day but uh, hour by hour.
0: Wow, five minutes. That's
1: nuts. It was crazy. It was It was biblical for like five minutes and then it was like flooding, like all the trash going down the street and everything like that. Big uh, hail pellets uh, coming down Uh, and then it stopped and the sun came out and it was just a beautiful day. And then the city decided to go fire off some fireworks at the end of the night, too, for some reason, even though all New Yorkers have been complaining about all the fireworks going off. The city said, hmm, everybody's complaining about fireworks. You know what we should do? Let's light off some really big, loud fireworks tonight for no good reason. We're just going to do it on a Monday at 9 o'clock because, eh, screw it. <laughs> that was from the government? Yeah, the city of – yeah, I think, I think it was just Brooklyn. I don't know if it was um, – I think it was just the east side. I don't think it was anything in Manhattan, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Maybe it was in coordination. But yeah, it's just like everybody's been complaining about all the fireworks that have been going off. And then they're like, ah, everybody's complaining about fireworks. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna light off a ton of huge fireworks. So if you have a dog, you're like this last week, this oh. last this last month, if you have a dog, this has been just they've been living in a war zone basically. They have oh. no idea what the hell is happening
0: things. right now. Yeah. Poor things. Well, it's been really hot here in Hong Kong. Like, I think over the weekend, it went up to like 90, 92 Fahrenheit. I'm
1: assuming not Celsius. Yeah, that'd be impressive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I would be dead if it was in Celsius, you know. Yeah, Yeah, it was really hot. And I was out hiking uh, out at Buffalo Hill. Uh, That's somewhere up in the new territories in Hong Kong. Really beautiful, but so hot. So, so hot.
1: Why do they call it Buffalo Hill? Because I can't imagine you guys have buffalo over there, right?
0: I don't know, actually. <laughs> I will have to get back to you on that.
1: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm going to look it up after we're done talking for sure.
0: <laughs> so this week we have a guest on. It's uh, Pete Cherwick, president of Asset Servicing at Northern Trust. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. and he he. We talk He's about it before, right? Yes, yes, it was episode 160, if I'm not mistaken.
1: And yeah. um, James and I and him, yeah, uh, that was a good episode, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. I tried to offer him a beer, but obviously I it couldn't, you know, being time zones away, time zones and countries away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, I was glad to see he was he was having his own.
1: That's good, Yeah, that's, that's why you got to do a podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we we chat a little bit about outsourcing—not a little bit—we chat a, we chat a lot about outsourcing. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, looking at the third wave, how how uh, now it's the third wave of outsourcing and some of like the main the main drivers of um, the main the main drivers of uh, pushing asset managers to outsource their trading desks and uh, yeah and you know and you know what just
1: happened there? What happened? I- so Wei Shen just obviously lost her train of thought because I was like, "Hey, you forgot to mention our advertiser." <laughs>
0: I was gonna get to that, by the way. I I really was. <laughs> you threw me off there.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to make sure you remembered, so we didn't have to record oh this again. Gosh. Listen, it's almost midnight my time here. Okay,
0: <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Then we finish my sentence about what Pete and I talk about, it. and then we can get to them. Go for
1: it, go for
0: it. <laughs> so we also talk about how an Auden Trust is actually looking to build out their outsourcing capabilities. Yeah.
1: That was good. That was good. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely helped move that along nicely, didn't I?
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah, no problem, that's what I'm here for.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> Smartstream Stream is a sponsor again for this week's episode aren't they?
1: That's correct that's correct, uh, this will be their uh, this is uh, the last week uh, for this run anyway, um, but uh, we do appreciate their support and uh, hopefully you checked out the white paper that we've been linking to, but uh, it got Shan and I thinking about uh, what the best uh, TV show finales have been, our favourite uh, finales of TV shows um, and Obviously, I can think of a lot of bad ones. It's actually, I think, a lot more difficult to think of good ones than it is like I can easily rattle off a ton that I hated. But for you, Wei Shen, what's your favorite?
0: Um, my favorite's got to be Friends, and just how they—I I know you hate—I know you hate it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. I mean, <laughs> you got it wrong. Damn! <laughs> I'm not gonna do it here. But anyway, um, yeah, just how they all leave the apartment. Uh, technically Monica and Chandler's apartment and go down to uh, Central Park for another round, uh, another cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, yeah that, that, was that, nice, that palatial apartment that they had with the beautiful skyline, everything, in Manhattan, sometimes they had jobs, sometimes they didn't have jobs, but yeah, no, yeah, that was a great show.
0: <laughs> hey, that was my first uh, my first view of what technically new york was like well yeah not really because it was not filmed in new york um yeah i i thought it was you know at that time so
1: yeah no way, man.
0: <laughs> they have plenty of friends uh friends fans and uh it'll be really exciting when they when they uh i think they're having a two-hour special episode come up um with hbo i think so that will be fun
1: That'd be cool if they're all like unemployed and they're like living in, like a basement apartment somewhere and like out in like yeah you know, just they're trying like somewhere in Bushwick something like that basement apartment just really run down like really go dark with it. I think that'd be pretty cool.
0: I doubt that'll happen. No, yeah, it's not going to happen at all. <laughs> I wonder if they'll they'll get back the uh, the actors and actresses who played the babies back then, like Emma. Well, those Jennifer, well, Rachel and Ross's daughter, Emma. And I'm pretty uh, sure, though,
1: usually when you have that, they're they're twins or something like that because babies can only work a certain they can only have them on screen. So you actually get two babies that just kind of run them through. And who knows if they're even actresses anymore, but yeah.
0: One set is. Yep. Uh, Yep. Uh, You've been uh, following your
1: whole career, huh?
0: Well, one of them stars in Riverdale, uh, which I'm a little bit ashamed to talk about. But anyway, (laughs) what were your favorites?
1: Uh, So I had to think about it. It took a second, but I think the ending of Cheers, um, which Wei Shen was too young to have watched that, um, but that was a great show. And just the end of it was very elegant. Sam Malone, played by Ted Danson, guy tries to come in. He's like, "Oh, sorry, we're closed." turns off light, readjusts the picture of Geronimo, which was, uh, if I remember right, it was one of the head writers uh, who passed away or something like that. It was in his office, and so then they hung it as kind of a tribute to him in on the set. Um, so just really classy, really nice. I also was a fan of the Seinfeld. A lot of people hated it, but I liked the Seinfeld uh, end of uh, finale because that show was so callous like i like the way just how like there was always an edge about that that they just didn't care if you think about like always sunny in philadelphia how they just don't care and they always get away with things that was basically seinfeld but just more tv sitcom uh for it and so the end of it where they send up in jail and they're just kind of like all right now what are we doing you know i like that uh yeah, yeah so i would jail, say those really? Yeah, they they watch a guy get mugged and they vi- they were videotaping it i think Kramer was videotaping it and they were just making fun of the guy as he was getting mugged <laughs> oh my god and then and then basically i think it was a double episode if i remember right and uh, they just had old guests coming on and just talking about how horrible every like that Seinfeld crew was and uh, i thought it was brilliant i thought it was great so but a lot of people hated it but yeah that's what i'll go with
0: well, we have a guest for you next week as well, so stay tuned to that. Then let's uh let's jump to my conversation with Pete then. Until next week. See y'all later. Okay, and today I'm joined by Pete Cherwich, the president of Asset Servicing at Northern Trust. Uh hi Pete, I believe this is your second time joining us. It
2: Welcome is, back. Um- Thank you, I'm uh, happy to be back. Enjoyed the last time and uh, looking forward to this one.
0: Unfortunately, I don't have a beer to offer you um, and uh, you know we're miles away from each other and time the, zones away too.
2: Yeah, the, the good news is I did take care of that already.
0: <laughs> nice, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> so you've been with Northern Trust for 13 years now, correct?
2: Correct, yep, as of July.
0: Wow, okay, uh, yeah, congratulations. Uh, but uh, I, I wanted to bring you on today to talk a little bit b- about outsource trading. And I know, um, I think early at the start of this year, you actually sent out a video to uh, that was available maybe to your clients and uh, on the website as well, just detailing some of the trends that you see happening for this year. You know, just, just looking a little bit back on that, you know, has anything changed since then? Because it was kind of before COVID kind of blew up.
2: You know, if I, honestly, if I look at, Um, COVID and what's happened. I don't think that any of the underlying trends have changed. You know, Um, for example, our clients are under pressure because of fees. They're under pressure in terms of uh, rising technology costs. Those trends are there. They're just accelerated because of COVID-19. So if anything, you might think that actually, oh, everybody's working from home, everything must be stopped and just everyone's BAU. But no, no, no. Everyone actually is pushing forward faster and realizing, okay, we actually have to do something. We've got to change. We need to react to this. So month of March, yeah, things slowed down. After that, full speed ahead.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, a lot of you—you uh, uh, you would have thought that a lot of tech projects have been put on hold, but some of them actually have been, you know, accelerating.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, it's not only accelerating. Everyone's looking at. Um, what was digital um, in their current environment versus what was manual. So if they look at their overall infrastructure, they're realizing, you know what? Why do I need to have this infrastructure myself? Can I outsource it? Can I automate it? What can I do? Because if you have infrastructure, you have people. If you have people, you not only have to kit them out at home, you gotta, um, in the office, you gotta kit them out at home. You've gotta figure out how to manage them all. So suddenly having a smaller group of people, it's kind of better for a lot of our organizations.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, on, on the topic of outsource trading, you know, it has been around for a while or like outsource, outsourcing in, in general. It has been around yep. for a while, but, you know, it's been primarily in the middle and back office operations. But uh, now we're looking at a third wave of outsourcing. You know, how did we
2: get here? So I think it's just natural evolution. All right. Because ultimately, everyone looks at what's my core competency. And as they move up, the closer you get to that core competency is the last thing to get outsourced. So if you start thinking about what is the core competency of an asset manager, it is selecting stocks and bonds to buy or allocating to that particular manager. Right. That decision of here's where I'm going to invest my money. That's the core competency. So as you go further back, all the way behind, all the way at the beginning is custody. It's like, okay, yeah, they hold the assets. That was the first to go. Then sort of the accounting. Then came the middle office, can I do this? Now become some of the functions that are closer to the portfolio manager, the FX execution, the the trading, right? All of that. So we just believe it is just an evolution that happens. And just like with, You said it's been around for a while. Middle office outsourcing was around for a while as well until then some of the bigger players started doing it. Right. And then Mm -hmm. pretty much it became um, standard. So if you look at it really was the year 2000 or so when 2001, when PIMCO outsourced their middle office, that was kind of the first big, big deal um, in the industry right around then. That's 20 years ago. So, if you think about outsourced trading, you had hedge funds, smaller players. Now we have some bigger players. But if we're at the beginning, you know, we got a twenty-year run of all of this happening. So it takes a while to happen, but it will, it will, it will hold true, just like everything else.
0: Mm, okay, and you know, coming to the front office, you know, what are some of the ripple effects from uh, outsourcing some of these non-core functions in the front office?
2: Yeah. So a um, couple things. One is. Uh, change management. So ultimately, if you're a portfolio manager and you're of a certain age, younger, you haven't been used to having a trader sit next to you your entire career. It's easier. If you're of my vintage, okay, you, you, you tend to have been used to a trader sitting there. So that change management, no matter whether it makes sense or not, is hard for anybody. So I think dealing with that um, that's one thing. Um, organizations realizing that, wow, you know what? I'm outsourcing this. There's new regulations coming in. So on the positive side, they realize, oh, I don't have to code my systems to do this new reporting. That Northern Trust can do that because we've outsourced it to them, so they're responsible for doing all that. So their change agenda, actually um, goes down, and they're able to invest in in different things or invest in tool sets to help the portfolio manager, not just in reporting to the regulators on how you've traded. so it's uh, it has two different types of impacts, I think on it from a ripple perspective.
0: Mm, and it's I, g- I guess bringing it back bringing the focus back to asset managers doing their what what they're meant to do really in selecting the stocks and and building out their portfolios, right?
2: Absolutely, and and it comes down to if historically, um, individuals would say, you know, trading provides alpha, and and in one sense it's absolutely true because you have to have skill to trade because if you have a big block you got to figure out how to do it, and we though we do have the traders that can do that. The question is, is that skill set unique? OK, and we believe we can have that skill set and provide that service. Um, we can save our clients money on the execution costs, save them capital right on the development costs. Um, shrink their staff, so it turns into more of a variable cost versus fixed fixed cost. Because think about it, if you're if you're a shop and you have four traders and you're not trading, you're still paying all the traders. Right, so if you can move it to a variable cost and don't have to pay for the infrastructure, that's a huge savings. For yourself right because you there it's almost like cloud it's there when you need it and when you don't need it you don't have to pay for it all right so we're the cloud servicing of trading all right um but you you, you basically um I, I guess that's really it it's it's there when you need it we cover off all the issues and you can focus on looking at the data and making your trades and the amount of alpha that you get from trading we don't think that it's so different that we can't have the expertise to do it because it's a trading skill, it's not a portfolio manager skill.
0: Right, right. And you know, what are some of the drivers that are really pushing asset managers to outsource their trading desk or like thinking or, or yeah, pushing them to think about about this seriously?
2: Yeah, I, I think if you look at it, um, the, the the investment management model is kind of broken now because the assumptions has always been that the margins grow in line with asset levels. And if you see in the marketplace now, that that's not happening. Asset levels are going up, but margins are going down. And so this shift is really an existential threat to our managers, right? And um, you know they need to identify means of controlling costs while maintaining and extending their ability to create alpha, right? which is on the investment and the portfolio management side. Um, and so to me, that's the biggest thing that, that, that is happening, right? And again, as we talked about it, portfolio managers long believed that traders had to be physically located with them and are learning that that's not the case. And COVID-19, by the way, is going to be the best thing for that because I didn't say that before. But if you thought your trader had to sit next to you, now your trader is sitting at home, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. 10 miles away, it seems to work. Why does my trader have to be in my company? So suddenly people using um, all the collaboration tools, I set to realize this can be a different company. Uh, so very, very different.
0: Okay. So what, is it, what does that then mean for traders? I mean, for asset managers looking to outsource their trading desk, what does that mean for the traders that are already sitting with them? Oh, well, not with them, but you, you know what I mean?
2: <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, this is this is the outsourcing business in general. Okay, so um, as I look at our business, all right, um, and I go back and you talked about the third wave, and we had the first wave and the second wave. Um, At the beginning of the second wave um, of outsourcing, which was the middle office, what all of the custodians did when they when they took that on was that we actually took took a lot of the people into our organization, and I will say. For a number of the clients that we've won business from, we have taken some of those traders into our organization. Because, you know what, we take their skill set, we have to grow the group, and that's a great way to do it, everybody wins. But you do hit a tipping point where now you have the proper scale, you can absorb, and ultimately, the question is, are there too many traders in the industry? And the answer is probably yes. Because if you think about it, is a trader trading all day long? Well, no, because a trader is trading when there's trades available to trade. So you need to have multiple clients to fill in that capacity. So by capacity utilization, ultimately, you need less traders. Um, And that's how cost gets reduced, right? And that's part of the marketplace, which is being driven from shareholders wanting a less costly uh, product. Right? And right. so you've got to react.
0: Okay, and, and you mentioned that, uh, you know, if anything uh, COVID has been, uh, has played a big push, I guess, uh, in the past few months. You yep. know, how has this changed from a year ago? And, and just in terms of like how much you think it, it has accelerated maybe for Northern Trust in this, in this manner, um, you know, due to COVID?
2: Yeah, so um, without getting into too many facts i would say that clients that we had won right have actually accelerated their implementation and um have pushed to get us pushed to get onto our platform sooner and have done so and so we're we're doing that Um, clients that were talking about it um have actually sat down and said okay no we want to do it so we've signed up new clients and frankly we've had a couple clients who had said you know what not now come back in a year or two maybe later have actually pushed it forward and said, no, no, we'd like to do this now. And so we're seeing a lot of take up because the savings is pretty quick. If you go to a middle office implementation for an established asset manager, it can be nine months to a year or even longer. You take uh, implementation of integrated trading solutions, outsourced trading, three months, six months and you're done. So. And the, the imp, then the, the payback is pretty high for the client because right away, they immediately go to variable costs, their costs go down, execution gets better, all the reporting done, and they're like, this is great. Thank you.
0: I guess that also, I, yeah, it takes away a lot of the headaches in terms of like reporting when it comes to um, maybe uh, that, they have to do, uh, that they have to do, basically.
2: Right? Uh, absolutely. Think about it. So if you're, if you're a company right now and you have your traders at home, you have to make sure well all of my recorded lines there right how do i make sure from a compliance perspective everything is correct now you may be worried about well i had people i had people in the office and i had a generator there so i'd back up power but what happens now if everybody from home if they lose their power and you may say well that's crazy that's not going to happen but you could have a person lose power in their house quite easily. And if they're in the midst of a big trade, well, how do they get that trade to somebody else? Uh, and we're thinking about all these things, making investments, trying to deal with that. And others might say, you know what? I'd rather rely on Northern to do that versus having to spend that, not only the money, but the brain power it takes to think through all the scenarios. Hmm.
0: Okay, and is there a specific profile of asset managers like outsourced trading actually really fits? You know, I mean, in, in terms of the size, in terms of the type, uh, you know, and where where does it make sense actually for them to, yeah.
2: yeah. So we've we've had I guess a couple of things ways to answer that. H- historically, outsourced trading has been you know small hedge funds, really small startup managers, right? And that's that's been the business that's been around a while. That's shifted to. I'd say mid-sized managers, right? You know, still small, but long only active managers, especially on the equity side. Um, we have one client that's $20 billion, right? So now you're getting into the, you know, more mid-sized. We have clients then, um, a lot of the asset owners that have, in-house, you know, have taken the asset management in-house. We're actually talking to them about doing this as well. So at that point, they may have hundreds of billions, right? But they want they only manage a small portion of that, and they want us to, to do it. And what's interesting is it's not one size fits all. You may be in Asia Pacific, and you may say, you know what? Um, you're in Hong Kong. Um, someone wants to do outsource trading. They have Chinese you know, stocks, right? They'll say, no, we got that covered in Hong Kong. We don't need you, Northern Trust. But we also have US equities, and we'd actually rather have you Do that for us because same different time zone. I don't have to have people work the night shift, etc. So great. So you can have um, different slices of what we execute based on your own personal needs and desires. And it goes back to that alpha. If you're in Australia, you someone may say, you know what? We know you have presence in Australia, but we think we can do Australian equities better than you can Northern. Okay, right. We'll do where your your European book. So we're trying to be flexible because just like with middle office outsourcing, some clients just said, can you do our trade processing? Some said, can you do a book of record? Some said, can you do both those plus performance? Every client thinks differently. Every Mm -hmm. client has a different view of what's important to them. For us, it's mo it's important not to argue that, it's just to provide a service because we're convinced the wave happens. And over time, if we do a good job. More and more will get outsourced, and you'll provide value to the clients. But you just have to have that relationship and um, you know service as the hell out of the client. Mm.
0: okay. And you know what what some of what are some of the concerns that you know might deter, or maybe some of the yeah, when we when you were talking with clients before, those who wanted a hold off, you know did they mm-hmm. have any concerns uh, in 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 terms of outsourcing their trading function? Uh, what are they, and how I mean, how can they be s- solved, I guess?
2: Yeah, it, it is change management and control. It is classic outsourcing concerns, all right? If somebody's sitting next to you, fundamentally you have more control, right? I can't argue with that. If, if, if there's a bad execution, you can yell at the person, you can watch over it, you can find out what's going on, you can add people if you need to, so you have more control, and that gives you a comfort level um, that if, if that's important to you, You keep. All right. Number one concern. But now what's happening is people are saying, okay, that comfort level comes at a cost. And in the old days, right, three years ago, four years ago, um, that was okay because making money, all right, margins were good. Suddenly, margins go down. Ooh, that cost. uh, You know what? Maybe I'm willing to give up a little bit of that comfort. And then, What happens normally when you do something like that, once you stop, somebody else is doing it, you realize actually they're making a profession. So they have lots and lots of traders. They have career paths for these traders. They have training. They have backup. They have the capital to invest in backup platforms and all of this. You realize, oh, wow, that service is actually better. Um, That's great. And you're happy. It takes time. And I'm mm. under no illusion for anything with outsourcing, but selling everything we do is outsourcing, right? And it's just change management.
0: Okay, but well, what what about say so, you know, when it comes to maybe security and privacy in terms of maybe their order flow or, or things like that?
2: Yeah. So um, again, that goes back to I talked. I mean, it's a great point, right? You have to get comfort level that that's mm. happening. So, w- but at some point, that order flow is going to a broker. It's going. So we. We, you know, provide broker-dealer services, right? Agency, on an agency basis, to clients, somebody's calling us and giving us that order. Um, and then we push it up. What's, there's no difference if we're actually placing the order to begin with, all right, uh, as an agent, via their system versus getting it from that trader. Uh, ultimately, you have to look at all the firewalls we have, right, and, and frankly, reputation is huge right? Mm -hmm. The reputation of Northern in terms of its integrity and all that comes into play. We're not a money center bank, right? So we don't have to have a firewall between our principal desk because we don't have one. Mm -hmm. All right. So, you know, that that's an important factor, right? Because it's not, I'm not saying that anyone else has any problems. I'm saying it's easier for us to say we can't because we just simply don't have that situation. So it it, it, uh, makes a difference.
0: Okay, so I know you, you launched your, uh, your your, you, you, sorry, (laughs) you launched your outsource trading desk in North America last, last year, right? Um, so I, sorry, go ahead. Keep, keep going. Sorry. So I'm just looking at how, how you are looking to build this out, uh, you know, how you're enhancing that, and you know how, how, how will Northern Trust expand on its outsourcing capabilities, whether it's adding new asset classes or in terms of geographies, um, maybe uh, Asia-Pacific?
2: Yep. So um, we actually launched it in Europe first. So 18 yep. months ago, it was in Europe. Then we've come to North America, and we do have some clients in Asia-Pacific now. So you have trading in Hong Kong, you have trading in Australia, uh, we're looking at Singapore, uh, whether or not we want to put a desk there. Um, obviously we have a European desk and we have our US desk. Uh, we have all of the equities, uh, we're, we're um, doing fix now, and then we're looking at some of how we can expand into the futures and derivatives markets, et cetera. So um, we'll continue to expand um, as we go forward. I think we've got geographically the, the expansions done, all right, it's just adding more people. Um, and on the asset type, we will continue to expand because ultimately you've got to be able to handle all the asset classes if you truly want to be a, a major player here.
0: Right, right. So um, in terms of adding that, you know, what are some of the steps that you're taking to to do that? And is that going to be uh, is that in the pipeline for this year, like for futures and derivatives?
2: Yeah, so it's um, a good question um derivatives is not in the pipeline for this year um the the listed futures i believe is although i'm not sure um i'd say i get back to you but it's a podcast so that's not going to happen i would say (laughs) any if anybody's interested please call me and i'll happy to give them the answer all right um you know i know the team is working on i'll I'll be honest the team uh we have over 50 client um, prospects in the pipeline Right, we're now I think over sixty or seventy clients. So the take up and the interest in this has just been phenomenal, and we've been more interested and focused on just the implementation and making sure the implementations have been going well um, over the past few months. What's happen?
0: Okay, so I, I guess you're you're looking to be uh, basically to offer full multi-asset uh, trading capabilities.
2: Absolutely, no question. Okay.
0: Okay, so uh, just just expanding a little bit more about uh, uh, your capabilities out here in Australia and not not here, <laughs> but in yeah. Australia and in Hong Kong, you know, um, could you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, how many people do you have on on deck there, and you know, in terms of maybe um, adding people uh, on the ground in Singapore, uh, how are plans and progress for that happening?
2: Yeah, so if you look at Northern's footprint um, in all of Asia. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly how many people we have, you know, like, I think 70 people in Hong Kong, you know, a few hundred people in Singapore. Um, I think we're a couple hundred people now in Australia. Um, and frankly, we continue to win business. We're now the number two custodian in um, Australia. And so by adding our brokerage capability, adding treasury capability, securities lending, transition management, all of those have been added in the past two years. Um, and we continue to ramp up and um, we will continue to do so uh, within Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong is obviously financial center, so uh, we continue to service the asset managers um, in Hong Kong, and and I will say that uh, our hope is that Hong Kong continues to grow and we want to be where the asset managers are. So as long assuming asset managers continue to grow in Hong Kong, we will continue to grow with them because that is certainly our goal.
0: There was quite a bit of uh, concern, actually, over the past um, maybe six months to a year that a lot of these funds are actually moving over to Singapore due to um, a a few factors. Yep. (laughs) I mean, did you hear that from your clients as well?
2: Um, It's interesting. So you you hear a lot of rumors and a lot of noise, right? Mm. I personally haven't seen um, any of the clients pick up and close down Hong Kong offices and move. All right, so I haven't seen that. Um, and that's part of it though. But we, we do move to where our clients um, move. So you know, we, we, part of the reason we bought a business in Luxembourg last couple of years ago was, hey, our clients had Luxembourg funds. They wanted us to be there in a bigger way. We needed a bigger presence. So uh, we bought the business from UBS to be, have a bigger presence in Lux. So as a solutions company, a client company, Long as our clients and prospects are in are in Hong Kong so I assume they will be uh, we will continue to be there and uh and support them
0: okay okay cool so and and I, I want to touch a little bit on the topic of blockchain uh because like with sure. with, the, with the with I guess covid you know we've seen uh, and it, even without covid but that has only accelerated things but we've seen a little bit of struggle particularly with the large scale projects like uh the like chess, and uh, that ASX is doing, uh, yep. the DTCC's TIW, you know. And um, actually, a few episodes back, uh, we we had Jennifer Peavy from DTC come on to talk about the, you know, some of the, the two pilot projects that they're working on. Um, and it's more of like, um, I mean, um, and, and Tony interviewed her, and uh, they, they talked about how, you know, what happens if there's no, uh, the industry feedback that they get is not very positive on it. You know, what what happens to the project itself? So where, as someone who has gone through that whole process, I know you have the private equity blockchain. Um, yep. You are also working with the, you have people on the ground in Australia working with Chess as well. Uh, you know, before we get into some specifics of what you're currently working on, you know, where have you seen blockchain um very much applicable. and in which areas is it more like a more far off than uh, than than planned?
2: <laughs> yeah. So I think it's more far off um, from a perspective of a major um, component in the p- um, settlement systems that we have, right in major countries. So you know ASX, even if you look at ASX and Chess, which I think they'll be successful. Okay, they'll get. They'll get it in, Um, but a lot. The question is, will people change their operating models? So that question was there a year and a half ago. It's still there now, so it's a technology, but are they are the individuals really leveraging? So the the. uh, Participants in that ecosystem, are they really leveraging the, uh, the blockchain or are they keeping the same operating model? So I think it's really hard to change the operating models for so many participants in an ecosystem. So where you'll see things take off and uh, be viable is where everyone agrees that the operating model needs to change and therefore will accept it. So you know we're working with a company in Singapore called Bond evalue that um, what they do is. You can't buy a Singapore US dollar-denominated Singapore bond today unless you have, I think it's $200,000 or $2 million, right? Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is they're creating uh, fractionalized bonds on blockchain so that an individual can pay $2,000 and own a token, right, that represents a fraction of that bond. And so that that goes live soon, and and that's going to be distributed through banks, and we think that would be great. But... You're not changing a big, huge ecosystem. You're actually providing a service to open up a market, all right? To go through and change DTCC and U.S. equities, right? They work fine today. It works great. We can't go from T plus two to T plus one to T zero. Never mind, you know, T ten seconds, all right? So, would you really benefit from blockchain? I'm not sure. Now, a lot of the OTCs, the private equity, other things, I still think there's need for that because it's still a manual process. So when we did the private equity, Rodridge continues to build out their capability. Hopefully we'll launch that out this year now. And um, I think that'll be great because it solves a need for clients uh, versus changing something just from a, because they think being faster is better. and, And it has some risk benefits, but back to cost benefit, not sure that the cost of changing an entire ecosystem is worth the benefit.
0: Mm, okay. And in terms of your private equity blockchain, that that's something that you were looking to roll out to a wider audience this year, right? Um, yep. You know how how is that how is that uh, how is progress for that going? And you know, um, yeah, what yeah. are some of the milestones that you've already hit and you're looking to hit
2: uh, by the yeah, end no of problem. this year? So um, we and I if I can catch you up, we actually did a deal with Broadridge, right, where mm-hmm. we ended up giving Broadridge the IP. And all the code, and they are now developing it. All right, so they're well into the you know when I say developing it, adding all the the, the rest of the features that we needed. Um, they are almost done with that. We would then start to roll it our clients later this year, all right? And then in 2021 they would go to market with this platform and start selling it to both um, GPs that have their own plat you know their own platform as well as administrators
0: okay that's interesting okay and, and in terms of the bond uh the Bon e uh, uh, oh. Bon e yeah in, in Singapore you know yeah. how you, you mentioned that it's going to be launched um I think soon. next month when, yeah
2: n- next month I believe next month they go live
0: okay and in in terms of your partnership with them you know what what is the um I guess what is uh it, what is the extent of your partnership basically
2: yeah so for right now, um, so we're we're a provider in terms of we are the custodian. We're kind of we're the organization. We're going to make sure that the underlying assets matches the number of tokens on the on the actual uh, blockchain. We've also been a consultant with them in terms of how to develop uh, the platform. It was actually built in Singapore had a sandbox that they allowed some companies to uh, work through. It was part of that exercise. Um, and so we've been working uh, collaboratively. Um, with them
0: okay oh that's very cool yeah. Um, yeah we'll have to talk a little bit more about that <laughs> in the future no okay absolutely well thank you very much Pete for joining us on the podcast I really am glad to have you back for the second time
2: I appreciate um, it yeah <laughs> next time we'll have to do it in person in Hong Kong versus uh, versus over teams
0: yep yeah, or, or okay. in New York whenever <laughs> yeah. <ready for> next. <laughs>
2: excellent okay. all right thank you thank very much thank you very much Pete bye bye